Thanks for taking the time to listen to this Mental Health Network podcast. For all the latest news and resources, and to find out more about the Mental Health Network, please visit nhsconfed.org forward slash MHN. Hello, welcome to this podcast on leadership in the mental health sector. I'm Marie Gabriel, CBE, Chair of East London NHS Foundation Trust and Mental Health Network Board Member. Welcome to the second and final episode of the series where I'll be continuing my discussions with leaders from black and minority ethnic backgrounds and today we will be talking about their experiences. What's it like to reach these positions as a BME individual, the role of non-BME leaders and how we should intervene to level the playing field. So hello everyone, why don't you introduce yourselves. Hello, I'm Yvonne Coghill. I'm the Director of the Workforce Race Equality Standard at NHS England. I'm Wayne Parra. I'm the Vice Chair of the New York Clinical Commissioning Group. I'm Ifti Majid. I'm the Chief Executive at Derbyshire Healthcare Foundation Trust. Thank you all for being willing to take part. Ifti, at what point in someone's career path, or indeed their life, should we be intervening in order to level the playing field? And how should we do this? So for me, the issue about how we intervene in people's sort of career development actually starts with us as senior leaders, because I think something that I wondered in my early in my career, where are those role models? Where do I look up there and see people like me? Because I didn't, and I still don't, actually. And so I think, first of all, we have a job, which is to get ourselves out and about, to get ourselves visible. And I don't just mean, but I include on the stage here, but, but I also mean in schools where kids are making decisions about their careers, with our nursing students, with our medical students. And I think that's really impactful and really powerful and something that we need to do. So I think that's the very first level intervention that we need to be taking control of. But actually, let's face it, there are points in in our career journeys through the NHS, in particular as you go into sort of core leadership, and I think that's probably the middle bands, 8A or so on, and when you go onto a board, well actually I do think we need to be taking some specific action, but I might have slightly different views from others in that I think that specific action is is first of all about working with BME leaders around personally and individually about their self-confidence, their self-belief, and actually providing that level of personal coaching. And I think we need to do that because I passionately believe that the only way we're going to change things is to have conversations and to have difficult conversations with other leaders. And then, and just lastly, I think there is a question about how do we get people into those jobs? And there's a lot flying around social media at the moment about, you know, should we or shouldn't we be insisting on not having all white panels? Wayne, how much do you consider yourself a beacon or role model to others? And at what point in your career did you start to feel that way, if you do? Only, only in recent times have I begun to realise that I am seen by some as a beacon and role model. And there was a particular event happened two weeks ago. Uh, it's a, a new initiative by some young BME uh, girls school students in, in, in my local borough who have developed their own future leadership programme. They see themselves as future leaders and they've devi- got together in devising their own programme and one of the people they wanted to come and talk to uh, as a local BME leader was me. And I think that was the first moment when I suddenly realised, uh, and if you'd have asked me this a month ago I'd have said no, that's not me. Um, but because of that experience, uh, wouldn't be something that fits naturally or comfortably with, with me, but I think I'm now having to reevaluate and say, actually, whether I like it or not, they have decided. Uh, and so that's kind of quite a learning experience that I think I'm going through. 
And I think in doing that, um, what I'm able to do is to draw on some of the role models that I've had in my career within the NHS. Because the second year of my time as a non-executive director, I was about to leave the NHS. Um, I just thought, actually, this is not for me. I'm fed up with being castigated as being an angry black man. Uh, I don't need this. Um, I'll go and make my contribution to the community somewhere else. And we had a new chair appointed. And that chair basically said, actually, I value what you bring. I value your th thought diversity. I value the fact that you're not accepting the assumptions. Um, stay with us. We can change this. And so now, suddenly, I think, oh, these young people are now saying to me, give us what that person gives to you. So I've now got to start re-evaluating my own leadership skills and think how I'm going to do that. So IFDI, the drop-off in representation between the lower and upper levels of the NHS means that black and minority ethnic people who work their way through the ranks in the NHS, especially from clinical roles, will go from a working in an environment where there are a lot of people like them to work in a level when, very quickly, there's hardly any of them. What is that like? So I'm um, a mental health nurse by background, still registered actually, and um, one, one of the things that, um, that I personally found making that, that transition was, yes, at times, it is, it's isolating, and it's lonely, and you find yourself questioning yourself. Not bizarrely, not questioning the environment, but questioning yourself. And that leads to you, you, you're, not, you're not having the confidence. And um, uh, however, but it's also that as you begin to look at your environment differently, and, and for me, as I begin to say, hang on a minute, this isn't you, lad. This is all the people around you. It began to become exciting. And it began, began to, I feel, began to feel motivated and infused and, and developed this real passion to want everybody to, the best, to be the best that they could. So I, I found this real switch, and that was a switch in me, not a switch in what was going on around me. And, and um, that's, that's come from, uh, from sort of me reflecting on it. The other thing I noticed was that because I made that transition uh, within the same organisation, it, it was probably a little bit easier because people knew me and knew me personally and I had personal relationships to, to drive, enable and support me through that. But isn't that a problem? Because we shouldn't have that and you shouldn't have to work around things and you shouldn't have to uh, mitigate things. Thank you, Ifti. That quite nicely brings me on to a question I have for you, Yvonne. What do you think the role is of non-BME leaders in making change? And how do we create advocacy amongst people who might have a vested interest in keeping the status quo? I think that it's really important that, that we understand that this thing called race inequality isn't um, a black and ethnic minority problem. Um, and it's really, really un, uh, important that we understand in order to, to crack this issue, we need to have white advocacy. White people need to understand some of the difficulties and the problems through years and years and years of structural inequality. And in order for us to be able to unpick some of that uh, unfairness and inequity, we need to have our white uh, colleagues understand um, how society impacts on, on black and ethnic minority people. And I'll give you an example of some of that. Because I don't believe that most people are consciously 
racist. I don't. I don't think that they are. What I believe is that they work with the system that they have in front of them. And if they don't know or haven't experienced what it's like to be discriminated against, um, it's very hard for them to understand what we as black and ethnic minority people go through. So for example, I'm looking for a house outside of London. And the thing that I look at is, are people going to accept me when I go into this area? Am I going to get the food that I like to eat? Am I going to be able to take my children to the schools that they're not going to be the only child? Am I going to be able to get products for my hair? All those thoughts, all those things, it's extra energy. If I'm a white person, I just look at the house and say, oh, I like that, I'll go there. We need to educate um, people who are not from black and ethnic minority backgrounds about difference and how that difference for us um, impacts on our everyday life. And what that means is that we have to have them help to change the systems and processes to enable and encourage us to be the best that we can be in order for them to have a better society. If, 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 if they don't make the changes that they need to make, we're never going to get a society where it's going to be fair and equitable for all of us because we're going to continue to get this gaping hole. And when you get this gap, what, what, what happens in the gap is unpleasantness. Wayne, do you think we need a campaign uh, similar to the one around, you know, sort of 30% club for women, to get more women on board. Should we have a similar campaign for black and minority ethnic people? I think we need a campaign around that, I think. Um, but what we also need to do is to challenge the 30% club to ensure that they are in, in guaranteeing adequate representation of BME women within their, their programme. Uh, I think we also need to look at some of the things that our network would need to do differently. So uh, where you have a reasonably even spread across the country, uh, as you do with, uh, on, on a gender balance, a 30% target might make sense. Where we have an incredible disproportionate spread within our communities, a blanket target seems to me to make more sense. And I think there is uh, a need for us to think how we would express that so that you know, we're ensuring minimum representation everywhere but also we're ensuring progress towards an equitable representation of the community and the patients that we serve. Ifty. I just wanted to add a, a very quick point, really valid um, conversation, but there is a risk, and that risk is that linking to the, this whole issue of intersectionality, that because, for example, I'm appointed as a BME chief exec, my organisation thinks, job done, great, we've got a, a BME chief exec. And actually, as dangerously, the organisation, or I think, I can represent the views of BME colleagues in my organisation, and I can't, and I still have to listen, and I still have to learn from what my colleagues are telling me, because if we don't do that, we dangerously make invalid assumptions. Thank you so much to all our panellists that have taken part in both episodes. These discussions have been so insightful. It does appear that within the NHS, we're having a different discussion and that we really are starting to head in the right direction. Thanks to champions like yourself. There's still a lot of work to do to level the playing field, but we're on our way. Thanks for listening. <laughs>